0: following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> uh, before I get started, um, I want to mention... Um, Uh, In just a few weeks, we will be celebrating Easter, the resurrection of Christ, Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. Now, last year, of course, um, I celebrated Easter in my living room, and uh, maybe you join us online for that, Um, and we praise God for that, uh, the ability to do that. Um, Well, this year, uh, we're going to celebrate Easter here. Uh, We still have our live streaming and everything, of course. But um, uh, some changes from our typical pattern. We are not going to have Easter breakfast here uh, together. We won't be serving Easter breakfast here. If you want to bring your Easter breakfast and eat it in your car between sunrise and um, uh, regular service, that's fine. But we are going to have sunrise-ish service. We always kind of ish. It'll be 7 a.m. and it will be outdoors. Now, we always do it outdoors when we do it. Um, What that means for you is you can come, all of you. I'm looking at you out there in the internet. You can come, we'll be outdoors. I'll have a sound system, plenty of space to spread out. Uh, It would be a wonderful opportunity. If you don't feel comfortable staying for the service and joining us indoors, that's fine. But I would encourage you, at the very least, to come out to sunrise service so we can see your face and worship together as a family uh, for the first time in over a year. So that would really be wonderful. Uh, and then, of course, we'll have a regular service uh, at 9:37 sharp as usual um, here in the sanctuary. And again, you are welcome to to come and. We're doing our best to follow the guidelines the state has given us. 50 million texts? That was such a beautiful speech, and they missed it. I don't remember anything I said. So, this mic is not working. John, could I have yours then? Uh, sorry, in the speakers and not the live stream. Okay, well, we made some changes, so. I don't think that means it's the Into 1 Peter now, um, we're going to look at 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, and that's page 1014 in the Pew Bibles, really looking forward to this, um, I love it when a sermon only, the Lord only gives me two verses. That means you get to have a lot of fun, Uh, just two verses. Last week, we considered um, the original author, uh, his original audience, and his intent in writing this letter, Um, because that's how we discover the meaning of a text. What was the original author's intent in writing, not what do we think It means now. We can't separate it from its original meaning uh, because it can never mean what it never meant. So, here in these verses, all three of the original author, original audience, and the author's intent are all in view here in these few verses. Peter's intent of comforting and encouraging the church is very clear here in these two verses. There's some very deep and rich theology um, in these two verses, just in the greeting. It's wonderful. And we're going to focus on some key words some and some sticky words um, here in this text. Examine their meanings and their implications um, for us as Christians in hopes um, that Peter's intent will be effective and we will indeed be comforted and encouraged. So let's read that text and then we'll pray. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to this text this morning, we pray that your spirit would speak, that you would change our hearts as a result of our time together in, in your word, that the grace and peace that can only come from you would be multiplied to us, that we would be encouraged, and and lifted up in our spirits in hopes of your return. We love you, Father. We give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about Peter, Simon Peter, Cephas, the man of rock, uh, the author of this epistle, uh, a letter, epistle just I don't even know. It's a fancy way. Say letter. But if you say to your friends, I wrote you an epistle, um, I don't know. It's not the wife of an apostle. I know that. It's a letter. Yeah. So we walked with Peter through the gospel of Mark, right, and saw his boldness and his brashness and stupidity. We walked through his many failures right alongside him. But praise God, there is a huge difference between the Peter in the Gospels and the Peter we hear in this letter. It's the same man, but not the same. We see a huge difference, and that difference is the Holy Spirit. We can't forget the disciples did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit that we have through faith in Jesus until the day of Pentecost. Until after Jesus' ascension to heaven, after the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples in Jerusalem. Big difference there. And I don't know how, I test how astute you really are. I know I'm preaching sermons on a Sunday morning, so you're not gonna, never mind. The the answer is Jesus, (laughs) Jerusalem, right? There is a subtle difference in how I refer to Peter and the others throughout our study in Mark and how Peter refers to himself in the opening line of the letter, this letter here. Do you know what it is? See, Um, what? Okay. Hey, Joel was here the whole time. Um, The difference is, throughout the study in Mark, I tried hard to consistently refer to Peter and the uh, the rest of the twelve as the disciples. Never the apostles. That's the difference. The reason being is that in the Gospels, they weren't apostles. They were disciples. Uh, And so, this is where... Our level of trivia deepens, right? Um, what's, the, what's the difference um, between apostles and disciples? I'm, I'm glad you asked. I will tell you now that a disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. I think we should all consider ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. We are students of him. We are learners of followers of Christ. And that's our goal here as a church family: is to make and mature disciples for Jesus Christ together as a family. Uh, being a disciple not a bad thing. So disciple does not equal stupid, much like the disciples were uh, in the Gospels, right? Not this. That's not what it means. But an apostle is not the same. An apostle is one who is sent. And speaks on behalf of the sender. And the sender is Jesus Christ. The, apostles, the disciples did not become apostles until Jesus gave them the great commission. And we all remember what that is, right? All authority in, on heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you, to the very end of the age. That's their commission. That is their um, that was their promotion from disciples to apostles. Um, and that was a good day, I think. So Peter is no longer merely a disciple. He was an apostle. The last week we touched very briefly on the original audience of this letter, its original recipients, and those were the elect exiles of the dispersion, the diaspora. Again, if you want to impress your friends with a foreign-sounding word. The word word exiles has also been translated... uh, as foreigners or pilgrims and sojourners. This referred to the Jewish Christians living outside of Israel. That's how they were referred to all the time. And though we may not be children of Abraham by blood, being of Jewish descent, I don't know if you are or not. I'm pretty sure I'm not. But we can relate to this idea of being the elect exiles of the dispersion because we are children of Abraham through Christ's blood, through faith in him. And we are living as foreigners in this world. This world is not our home. We're just, we're just passing through, right? I forget who said that first, but it's a clever saying. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. So, there are some sticky words I want to look at here. Some, what I mean by sticky, just kind of controversial things uh, that people who like talking about theological ideas and doctrinal ideas like this word to talk about a lot. The sticky word is elect. The elect exiles. Exiles of the dispersion is easy. Well, what about elect? Uh, We talk a little bit about it. last week, so I'll ask you, who are the elect, in a, just in a general sense, what does it mean to be elect, by God. to be a Christian, what? Chosen by, God. chosen by God, yes, those two ideas work together, you got it all, so I guess we'll move on to the next word, now I'm going to make sure you get your money's worth, we'll talk about it a little more. Who are the elect? In the New Testament, the elect are all those who belong or will belong to the purified people of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So, Christians chosen by God. This is what the Bible calls, you may have heard this word before, this is what the Bible calls the church. Right? Easy. The world may have other ideas about what the church is. But as far as the word of God is concerned, the church, the elect, are all those who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and adoption into God's family. Church is not a building. Church is not a social group. Church is not a grand organization. The church is a family of God, those chosen by God for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that sticky word, elect, chosen, is connected to another sticky word very closely here in our text. And that's the word foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. This is not a, the different from five knowledge. It's foreknowledge um, is no before. But it's more, it's deeper than that. To be elect means to be chosen. In this case, chosen by God for salvation and inclusion in the church. And that's according to God's foreknowledge. J.P. Lang wrote, the final cause of this election is free grace, its end, salvation, and its condition, penitent faith, meaning repentance and faith. This election by God has nothing to do with our merits or our own worth, Um we weren't elected by God because he needed what we had to offer, right? I need a left tackle, and so I'm going to elect, right? Yeah. I was a right guard, so it wasn't me. Um, all right, there are no conditions for our election. God chose us because he chose us. It's plain and simple. Well, maybe not simple, but it's plain. God chose us because he did. There's an element of faith involved there because we want to understand why, right? Well, why did he choose me and not choose this person or that person? How about just be happy that he chose you? D- just relax, right? This is the second of the five points of Calvinism, in case you're curious about plunging the depths of of that unconditional election. Everybody knows the five points of Calvinism, right? You'd learn that in Sanderskew? No? Yeah. Tulip, right? Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. Do you know that that was originally created as a mockery of Calvin and his teachings? But now it makes for a great T-shirt. I think maybe we should make those. (laughs) With this in discussion for another day. So, though our election is not based on what we bring to the table, it is also not random. It is according to God's foreknowledge. Election and foreknowledge are indelibly linked. You cannot separate them. Now, foreknowledge does not just mean that God knew beforehand. Not just that, Um, as our English word would imply, knowing before, foreknowledge, um, it means that God decided and decreed. This was intentional, and it was before we were created. It's not where you're born, God looks you over and say, yeah, okay, I guess I can take that one and this one and leave that one. It was decided before creation began, before day one. God had decided who would belong to him. As Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I read that out of the NIV in case you're curious because the English standard version that we usually use, all those words are backwards and upside down. Jesus also said in John 10, 14, My own know me. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus already knows. He knew you before you were born. He knew that you would be his before your first two cells were there. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 29 and 30, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's that big words, right? This is a simple and encouraging truth. I find this to be incredibly encouraging, and I don't like arguing about predestination versus free will. What I see in the Bible is very clear. God has a plan, and you are part of it. Isn't that a wonderful truth? We who believe are part of God's plan. And that's another beautiful part of these key words here in the opening verses. The comfort and encouragement that comes from the work of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all here in these two verses. See why I like getting stuck on just two? It's because there's so much to talk about. It starts with the election and foreknowledge of God the Father, His plan. And next it moves on to the sanctification of the spirit. Sanctification in the spirit. And what does that what does that mean? What does sanctification mean? I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. Sanctification is consecration. It's being set apart, right? To be made holy. That's what that word's mean. Set apart this is the gracious work of the Holy Spirit to put God's God, the father's choice and purpose and election into effect. We were in this muddy pool of filth and he pulled us out and set our feet on the rock. Hebrews ten ten says, by God's will, we have been sanctified, been made holy, separated for God's use through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. John Calvin also put it beautifully when he said, sanctification is the application of the merit of the Son to the soul by the gospel. When we are saved, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit not only fills us, but separates us. We are made different. When we are born again, we are born into a different kind of thing than we used to be. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a wonderful work. And once we are set apart through faith in Jesus Christ, we grow in our knowledge of and we grow in our walk with Christ. We learn to trust him more. We grow in wisdom and strength by the power of the Holy Spirit. His work continues in us. That's We're made disciples, right? Through faith in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, His sanctifying work, and then we mature as disciples. And that's what we're trying to do, to grow in knowledge and wisdom and strength. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we turn from our sin and put... Our trust in him were set apart from the rest of the world, dragged from that muck and set on the rock of Jesus Christ. We are not of this world. The problem is we forget that because we're in it. We're in it all the time. We can't avoid that. I tried. you want to come live on the mountain and separate from the rest of the world? (laughs) The world is up there too. You cannot separate yourself from the world that we live in, but we must remember that we are not of this world anymore. We are not citizens of this world. We are foreigners here, pilgrims, sojourners. We're traveling through to a greater land, a more beautiful destination. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, we are set apart as belonging to him, by the Holy Spirit. Why? Why were we set apart? I don't mean why you and not your neighbor. I mean why at all. We are set apart for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. And here's the, the rest of the Trinity We've talked about God the Father, God the Spirit, and here, God the Son, Jesus, God's eternal Son. We are chosen by God the Father according to his will and purpose, not according to our own merits. We are set apart from the world by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit, and now we are led and instructed by Jesus Christ, having been sprinkled by his blood. Now, there are two parts here, two key words um, in the statement about Jesus Christ. Obedience and sprinkling. Well, first, obedience. What does that mean? That means, here are the rules, follow them. Right? No. Is that it? Because that's pretty... Bleh. Who wants to just, hear are the rules, okay... I'm a robot, follow my programming. Obedience to Jesus Christ is much richer than that, at least in this context. Obedience is a beautiful fruit of faith. Obedience consists of faith and flows from faith. Faith claims obedience as its fruit while faith itself is obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Obedience means to believe the truth and perform the duties which it imposes on us. This you say, uh, believe in Jesus, but don't do what he says. Do your words really mean anything? No, they don't. You can't say. I I believe that breathing is necessary and then hold your breath until you die. I suppose you could, but I don't recommend it. In our day, it's much more popular to say that you love Jesus or believe in Jesus than to prove it by following his commandments. Or maybe it's just me. I'm the only one that struggle with that? I don't think so. Amen, brother. But the temptation here is also the, to let the pendulum swing too far in the other direction, to hyper-interpret Jesus' commandments and make up more rules to make absolute sure that no one ever sins, right? And and has nothing to do with this yucky world we live in and all their nastiness. Forcing the church to keep the instrument of their salvation to themselves, to keep it safe behind glass, where it won't get marred and dusty. Obedience to Christ is exactly the opposite, it consists of faith and flows from faith, and by faith we submit to His authority and obey His instruction. And we find that in the Word of God. And you won't find anywhere in the Word of God that says, okay, believe in Jesus, now sit on that. Stay away from everybody and just hang on. I'll be back. That's, you won't find that. J.P. Lang wrote, it is only by the obedience of faith and our firm purpose to subject ourselves to the claim of the divine law that we are made partakers of the atoning virtue of the blood of Jesus, the sprinkling of his blood. Peter is referring here uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 24, where Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai after having received the law from the fingertip of God. This Jewish audience, Peter's Jewish audience, would understand that. In Leviticus, the Lord instructed how the ark and how the altar and the lampstands and all the holy instruments in the temple were to be sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice for purification. But only in Exodus 24 are the people themselves sprinkled with the blood. Only this one time. And what makes this one time unique? Well, I'll read it and you'll see for yourself. Exodus 24. Start at verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. Of course, that lasts about 30 seconds if you read any more of the Old Testament, the obedience of the people of Israel. But the blood of the covenant... The Mosaic Covenant, again, if you want to impress your friends, it was not sprinkled, that blood was not sprinkled on the people until they declared that they were ready to comply with all the demands of the divine law. And now, in the New Covenant, it's not Moses that applies the blood, it's the Holy Spirit who applies the blood. When we declare we are ready to comply with, with the demands of the divine law of Jesus Christ when we are ready to obey. And finally, the last words in verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace. Grace. We all know that. It's Craig and Lisa's daughter graduating high school this year. Grace is the free gift of God. God the Father. The gift of justification. The gift of salvation. God's unmerited favor. It's a gift. We didn't earn it and we don't deserve it. You've heard the the, the old acronym thing with the letters and the... God's riches at Christ's expense. That's twice we've used one of those this morning. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches are his salvation. Christ's expense, he paid the penalty for our salvation. He paid the price on the cross It's a free gift. May that grace be multiplied to you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Lest any, uh, It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Lest any man boast. It's God's gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. It was a gift. And we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone. And that grace brings peace. Peace testifies of grace. And what kind of peace is that? Not some hippy dippy tie dye peace, man. This is peace with God and in God. Because we were God's enemies before we were saved and adopted as his children. And now we have peace with him through faith in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said it beautifully. He says, Peace is the favor of God, which now begins in us, but must work more and more and multiply unto death. If a man knows and believes in a gracious God, he has him. His heart finds peace And he fears neither the world nor the devil, for he knows that God who controls all things is his friend and will deliver him from death, hell and all calamity. Therefore, his confidence is full of peace and joy. This is what Peter desires for all believers. It is a right Christian salutation with which all Christians should greet one another. Do you know what real peace from God means? You don't have to fear death. We can know that we will not die until our job is done because God has it under control. Now, don't hear me encouraging you to go walk out in traffic just to see what happens. See if your job is done. My time must be up, right? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. We can be confident That because God is in control, we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. That's what peace is. Freedom from fear. Through faith in Christ, we no longer have to fear the wrath of God. We can take comfort in his love and his grace. We don't have to fear the world. Because what can they do to us? Maybe end your heartbeat. Choke off your life breath. That doesn't give them control over your soul. God has control of that. That's peace, friends. That's real peace. So, to you, elect exiles of Crossroad Church, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your grace and peace. We're so thankful for your word. May these words sharpen us this morning. And if anyone here or listening or watching does not know you and does not know the forgiveness that you offer through faith in Jesus Christ, does not know sanctification by the Holy Spirit, pray that even now as they hear these words, they may turn to you in faith, turn away from their sin and accept your forgiveness for it accept your adoption into your family and would be obedience to Jesus Christ having been sprinkled with his blood through faith and for those of us who have walked with you for a long time may we hear these words and put them to work write these words on our hearts dear lord that we would obey embracing our sanctification embracing our sojourn through this world, knowing that your kingdom is our home. So we wouldn't get too comfortable here, but continue to look forward to that day when you call us to that place, or you return to bring us there yourself. We can't wait for that. Father, may we be encouraged. And edified by your word this morning. Glorify yourself and your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipi, New Hampshire, 03890.